0: It's your prayers.
1: For this day, we've gathered in your name. We're calling out to you. You're the reason we're here. You're the reason we're singing. Lord God, we pray that each and every heart, each and every uh, mind and spirit here, Lord, would just be echoing these words, calling out to you, knowing that there is no other reason we are here. Yes, fellowship is sweet and it's good and it's good to be with friends. But friends aren't the reason we're here. Uh, Lord, you and you alone are worthy of our worship. And we uh, come to you and you alone today to give you all the praise and glory and honor that you deserve. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. If you would uh, take your, uh, your uh, connection card and please fill that out. We, we don't have a slide. Pray, pray that we get through the service uh, without crashing Certain graphics have crashed the system this week. The connection card was one of them for some reason. Um, anyway, weird. But uh, so we don't have one. But please, please fill out a connection card. It's in the pew back uh, in front of you there. Okay. And then I've got a few things to say about uh, back to Bethlehem before we move on. Uh, every ministry has sort of what's known as crunch time. And back to Bethlehem, this is the week of of crunch time. So, uh, first thing, this Saturday, starting at 8 o'clock, we need a lot of help uh, carrying walls, some strong backs carrying walls and putting up walls. And so I've talked to many of you, you're you're coming, but the more the merrier. Uh, Many hands make light work, amen? So please, please help us with that, Saturday morning, and then... Uh, the invite cards are now available. I put a few at the end of each pew, and so just pass those around. There's plenty more out in the commons, okay? So take all that you need and pass those out. On the back of that card is the... A reservation phone number, so people can call that direct line and and get reservations. Or, of course, we always have room for walk-ins. Okay, so uh, be aware of that. And then next, we have we still need townspeople and some speaking parts. So, if you can help us with that, please um, go to the commons and fill out a form, leave it there in that envelope, and then we will be in contact with you. Also, no matter how good well you plan, and how many, you know, 300 people get together and do a ministry, it's all for naught, right, unless you pray and put it in God's hands, and so we're asking for prayer warriors, at least three a day, to commit to a day to pray, and so if you could get get us started this week, see Kathy Trantham, uh, where are you Kathy, okay, where, oh, there you go. See Kathy Trantham right after the service, and she will get you signed up to be a prayer warrior this week. And then moving forward, we'll have another way to, to sign up for that. So please, please, please bathe this in prayer. All right. Well, as we get into um, continuing Brother Philip's message, praying uh, to the uh, powerful Almighty God, um, this song reminds us of that, that He is all to us. Precious cornerstone,
0: precious cornerstone, your foundation.
1: Precious cornerstone.
0: Precious Precious cornerstone.
1: together for the former priest were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office but he holds his p- permanently because he continues forever consequently he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them well we're going to hear another he is able verse by Pastor Philip in just a moment, but this is a great He is able verse as well. Amen. He is able to save. Let's sing it together. We're going to sing a song that talks about the church being the church that God's called it to be. Philip's going to come and share something about that there, that, that there should be glory in the church. Well, too many churches aren't the church they're called to be, and there's no glory. Amen? And we don't want to be that church. We want to be the church that, that God can stand and say, let there be glory in the church. And it's so obvious. Amen? So let's sing, Oh, Church, Arise. orchestra are dismissed. Arise,
0: shine for your life.
2: that most of you have visions of candy today and things that go bump in the night. Well, for me, it's Reformation Day. And not only do we get to think about Reformation, but we actually get to think about it on the particular day. October 31st, 504 years ago. So, I believe that what took place in the Reformation was perhaps the greatest move of the Spirit of God since the time of the apostles. When the hammer struck the door of the Wittenberg Cathedral, when Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses there, that was a strike that was actually heard around the world. Uh, There are, we can debate, of course, many, many aspects of it, And this debate went all over the world, as a matter of fact. And we need to be thankful that uh, Martin Luther actually graced the scene of this world given by the Lord to be alive. And actually to listen to the voice of the Lord, to actually begin to read the scripture instead of listening to the traditions of men or the Catholic Church. He actually read what the Word of God had to say. So, just a few things to remember about this day At first, Luther just was hit in his heart with the fact that there's no way possible that traditions of men or a pope that believes that you can sell salvation could ever equate with what the Bible said about being saved. So that was what started it. And then as he began to think on that more and more, uh, he began to figure out that the primacy of the word of God was central. In other words, we believe, thus saith the Lord, we believe the Bible. And out of that is the question, how is a man made right with God? And the issue is called justification. How can a man be right before the Lord? And we know, according to Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, that you're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, in order to be saved. And so... There are no works added to that motif, right? It's not grace plus works that equals salvation. It's by grace through faith alone that we are saved. Justification is God's declaration that we are not guilty, that we have been forgiven of sin, that righteousness is or in the sight of God comes through faith alone. When the Father imputes to us or reckons to us or put to our account, it is put to our account the perfect righteousness of Christ Jesus the Lord. So we ought to stop today and at least acknowledge if you've never studied the Reformation, I would encourage you to do so. And folks, I'm just telling you, uh, we have a lot to be thankful for today that we can sit in a church with an open Bible and read, had it not been for Martin Luther and what happened through the Reformation, we wouldn't have the Word of God in, in languages other than Latin. Which I don't know how to read that. Right? And you don't either. But be thankful that we have the Word of God and we think about that today. Okay. Now, what we've seen in this prayer, the requests are absolutely huge. Think about how audacious it is for us to begin to say, God, give us strength in the inner man. Anybody struggle with that one? We struggle every single day with the inner man. Paul would say, point blank, he would say, O wretched man that I am, who can deliver me from this body of death? So, we realize that. Now, my question is, is Paul praying too ambitiously? Because when we look at our own experiences and we think about strength in the inner man, when we think about being built up in love, rooted and grounded, do y'all struggle with that like I do? Right? We, we struggle with those things uh, in, in life, in living those things out. We want all these things. How about this other one that's huge, that we not only would have the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, but we might be filled with all the fullness of God. We talked about that last week, but in reality, uh, words would fail to try to describe what that means. What does that mean? I don't know, but I like it, and I want it. Amen? Amen? So we pray those prayers, but is that seemingly something that is too ambitious to pray for those things? Well, I want you to know that Paul is going to give you, in Ephesians 3, 20 and 21, the scaffolding that actually holds up the petitions. You know, I'm so thankful that I grew up in a church between the time I was 12 and 15. Where my pastor preached the word. And every Sunday morning. Natalie and I sit under him preaching. And every Sunday morning. He would raise up his bible. And he would say let's do our doxology. And we would stand to our feet. And we would proclaim. Now unto him. Who is able to do. My life was built on that. For three solid years. That brother Wayne Robertson. Pastored my church. (laughs) That, was, that, that would ring in my ears when I would wake up in the morning. Now unto him who is able to do. So, folks, understand, this is the scaffolding that holds up the petitions. So, here's something you need to think about. Not only does your prayer life reveal your true heart priorities, whether it be carnal, spiritual, whatever that may be, I'm telling you, folks, your heart's condition will dictate the kind of praying that you pray, your priorities. That's not only the thing that's true. What you believe about God will also affect your praying. So, in other words, theology must undergird our praying. What we believe about God. So, there are three things that are really woven throughout Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. And those things will be prayer, of course, theology, and doxology. So we would have to say that Paul was a, a, a doxological theologian. How about that for words, right? He was, because what he believed about God led him to praise God. And it, it formed a doxology in his mind and thinking. In other words, when you learn incredible Uh, attributes and theology about God, your thoughts about God should soar and it should lead you to praise God. And here's what I would say about that. Theology, praying, and doxology, what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. You need to know what you believe. So again, praying, what what an awesome prayer we've been able to to look at, but we're going to conclude it today, right? We're going to move from an indicative section all the way through chapter 1 through chapter 3, and now Paul in chapter 4 is going to be, going to start hitting us with 35 to 40 imperative commands of how you're supposed to live since you are saved, and we're going to hit that, right? And it may not take as long as chapters 1 through 3, but when you get to husbands love your wives, dudes, I'm telling you, we could preach on that for days, Right? So we don't know how far or what's going to happen when we get on marriage and spiritual warfare. But these are going to be great days. We look forward to it. Before I dive in, let me say thank you, Pastor Appreciation. And it, it actually fits this. I don't know how many cards I have in my office, but I read through them often and think about what you say. And it's so interesting that this year the predominant thing that I've seen written in a card is this. God is at work in our church. And I can't wait to see what God is going to do in the future. Well, we're in good hands because of what the text says. I'm glad that thought is in your mind because here it is. Verse 20, chapter 3. Now to him who is able to do, check this out, far more abundantly than all that we could ask or think. According to the power, check this out, at work within us. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. The prayer started in humility, submitting ourselves before the Lord with this reverent, submissive praying. And then there's a the petition that God would strengthen us by His power in the inner man. And then we need to be rooted and grounded in love And then we need to be filled with the fullness of God. And here's the last one. It's real simple. Give praise to God. Give praise to God. So, now to him. Again, Paul's theological framework led to praise. Don't don't skip over that too fast. Now to him. So what he believed about God continually led him to praise. His theology motivated and fueled his heart to praise God. The fact that he was soaring over these theological principles led him up to this, right? It leads him to this praise. When he gets to the purpose of God for his people, for instance, in Romans chapter 11, instead of him saying, now to him, he says, oh, and that's a very strong emotive word in the Greek of the heart, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. And then he concludes, for in him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. When Paul writes to Timothy in his first letter, he's just getting started with his letter. And he starts thinking about his call of God upon his life to save him. And he reveals to Timothy that he was pretty much a scoundrel before God saved him. And then he said this, though your mercy and grace overflowed to him with the, with the faith and love which is in Christ Jesus that put him into the service. 1 Timothy chapter 1 beginning in verse 12. And then he says this, he burst into this, to the king of the ages. Do you see? Immortal. Invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So, folks, I'm trying to get you to see that when you read now to him, it shouldn't be just kind of passively. Now to him. No, it should be energetic. It should be with a victorious tone. Why? Because he is giving us a doxology of praise to the Lord God. Almost exactly like this. To the king of the ages who is immortal and invisible, the only God. But when you get to Ephesians chapter 3, we encounter now to him. And again, don't read it in a mellow transitional way. Rather, read it with force because he's expounding on the truth that he's learned and what he's telling us. And he bursts forth so that now unto him should be energetic, it should be vibrant, it should have exuberant doxology in it. Now to him who is able, what does the text say, to do. Does anybody know what this word is, God is able to do, it is where we get our word, the dynamite power. Dunamis is the word. God who is able to do. Now, in other words, you've got to lay hold of something in God and that something that has, this is what Paul is doing. He is focusing in on and laying hold onto something about God. And here's what you do when you're praying. You're laying hold of the fact that God is able to do. God is able to do. So in other words, Paul is telling us that our praying should come from an attribute of God and his perfection as it relates to the truth that's being offered. God is able. That's the attribute that Paul wants us to think about. If we stop right there, who is able to do? What do we have, ladies and gentlemen? You have the doctrine of omnipotence. God is all-powerful. Do you believe that? Now to him who is able, who is able. If we stop right there in the sermon, you you would have learned that God is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. Powerful. The Bible teaches with clarity. It does not stutter. It is unambiguous in the language. God possesses and has supreme and absolute power. He is the God of supreme power, of absolute power. He is the God of unrivaled power. Here are a few verses. We, we actually call this theological, theology proper when we start thinking about the doctrine of God and who is he. And all his attributes. And I would encourage you folks. Don't sleep on that. Uh, In other words for you to understand the scripture. You also have to understand the God of the scripture. You need to understand the attributes of God. And I think much faulty thinking. Theologically. Proceeds out of the fact that we don't know what God is like. Because we never ever study the attributes of God. But here is one that is absolutely clear. God has supreme unrivaled power. So. 2 Chronicles 20, verse 5. If you can get there before I read it, do so. I doubt it, but I've got to move on for the sake of time. 2 Chronicles 20, verse 5. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations, in your hand are power and might. So that none is able to withstand you. Wow, Psalm 24, Psalm 24, verse 5. I'm sorry, Psalm 24, verse 7. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? Listen to here, the Lord strong. And mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Flip over a little bit to your right and you'll find Psalm 62 verse 11. There are multiple, there are many more verses to this. Here's just a few. Psalm 62 verse 11. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God. And in perhaps my favorite is found in Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 17. Ah, Lord God, don't you love that one? It is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. And then verse 26 of the same chapter. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? If we fast forward to Matthew chapter 1, there is a maiden of the Lord. As a matter of fact, she's a young maiden, which in the Greek would bring about the the principle of the virgin Mary. And she is told by an angel that she will bear a son. And what does Mary say? How can these things be? Because I have not... Known a man. And what did the angel say? Nothing will be impossible with God. Right? Nothing. So, if we fast forward to Revelation 19.6, what do we find? We find these words. Hallelujah! For the Lord God Almighty, which means the Omnipotent One, reigns. Reigns. So the testimony of the Bible is that God is able to do whatever He pleases because the God of the Bible Is the God of all power. The God of all power can say confidently to his people, nothing is too difficult for him. Nothing is impossible for our God. James Boyce once wrote a little book called The Abstract of Theology. And here's what he says Listen close. Power in God may be defined to be the effective energy inherent in his nature by which he is able to do all things. The exercise of that power is dependent upon his will or purpose. And is limited not to what he can do. But what our God chooses to do. If God has all power. Then indeed his will is the determining factor for all things. Even in the book of Job we learn that there is an adversary the devil. But let me remind you something clear. Even the devil is God's devil. At the end of the day. God's power far, far, light years infinitely supersedes his power. And so even the devil is God's devil and only does what God allows or permits in his sovereign purpose. Folks, the world in which we live is governed and controlled by our God who spoke it into existence. And the Bible reminds us in Colossians 1 that it's sustained by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. There's nothing That occurs outside of the scope of God's power. And I get that it's according to his will that he chooses to act with his power. But nothing is outside of the ability and power of our God. He is omnipotent. Now some of us may have no problem with resting into the fact that God controls the galaxies. But we have a harder time dealing with the fact that he controls many details in our lives. Amen? We, we have a hard time. It's pretty easy to say, oh yeah, God, you got this. And the world's not going to fall apart tomorrow because you hold it together. You control the galaxies. You actually put them into orbit. You made all of it, right? But when it comes to our lives, we struggle there. Our God is the almighty king who rules from heaven above. Now to him who is able to do, he is able to do what? Is that not a good question? Yes. He is able to do all things. But is Paul only making a categorical statement about a divine attribute of God? Is that the only thing he's doing? No, I think he's doing more. He's actually taking that attribute, the divine omnipotence of God, and he wants to use it for a specific purpose. It's not like say, he's saying, hey, listen, guys, this is going to blow your mind. God can do anything because he has all power. No, he's saying more than that. He's saying that God is able to do something specific. Specifically, as it concerns us, he's able to do above and beyond all measure of anything that we could ask or think. Now that's huge, isn't it? Did y'all know that Paul was a master of compacting words to make up a word that wasn't there before? Now you know this if you study the Greek language. He begins to pile in together words that compact together In order, he crams them in there to try to give a word. So it's it's as if he's saying, in order to help you try to explain this, I'm going to make up a new word. It's going to sound a little funny to you, but here it is. God is able, here's what this says. To do super abundantly, above all measure, anything you could ever ask or think. So scholars will tell us that it means quite beyond all measure. And is actually the highest form of comparison that is imaginable. He puts this word together. It means infinitely more than. What is God able to do? Infinitely more than anything you could ever ask him to do. Or infinitely more than you could even think to ask him to do. Paul is making these audacious prayer requests. They seem outlandish. They seem over the top. But then he says, that's not a problem. Because God is able to do Exceedingly, far above anything that you could ever ask him or even think to ask him. Wow. Check out the reasoning. A, God is able to do all that we ask him to do. B, he is even able to do not only all that we ask but all that we could imagine. C, he can actually do more than that. D, he can do far more than that. That And E, he can do very far more than that. Now, folks, is that an incentive to pray? That's what he is saying to us in those words. Just take this prayer alone, for instance. God, give me strength in the inner man through your power. Do this, folks. Do it fervently and frequently because you can never ask him in such a way that you could outrun his resources to meet that prayer. That's, that's hope for me. Ask Christ to dwell into your hearts and to sanctify you. You say, well, preacher, you don't know my struggles. I do. I know my struggles, but I also know God. I know what the Word of God says about that. So you say, well, I've got besetting sins that are miles long that I'm dragging behind me. I have lustful tendencies. I have all these thoughts that come into my mind. I am supremely carnal most of the time. Ask God in Christ Jesus to dwell in your heart in every area in faith. Why? Because the God to whom you pray to is able to do far above anything you could ever ask or think. To pray that God would give you love that surpasses knowledge. That sounds audacious and impossible. But you're dealing with a God that says that's no problem. Because I can do far more than you could ever imagine. Or even think to ask. Now... We ask Him to fill us with the very fullness of God. Again, what is that? How do we even define it? But God is able. He's in heaven and He can do all things. Don't you realize that no matter how many blessings you expect from God, His infinite resources and His liberality. That's the only liberal part of the word I ever want to say. God is liberal. (laughs) To give an answer to prayer. What far is? It supersedes anything you could ever ask or think. Folks, don't enter the throne room of God sheepishly. You're dealing with a God who has all power. And the context is, He's telling His people that He is able to do these things. Check out the next phrase. According to the power at work within us. in is the actual word. In-us. Communicating are within us. Which in the Greek communicates location and sphere. This is where this is, in other words, working out. Check this out. The same power that was at work in Christ is also at work in believers. It's the very power of God at work within us. Now, God's work in us for salvation is compared to... Analogous to two incredible events throughout the word of God. Does anybody know what those are? Two divine events. That are described. And our redemption becomes analogous to these two realities. Creation. And resurrection. I saw it kind of on some of your lips. But you were struggling for it. Right? Chapter 1 verse 20 of this book, listen, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. That's the power to those who believe. The same power that raised Jesus from the grave. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation, okay? So God's work in us is analogous to the work of creation. And the work of resurrection. So if we think in those terms of redemptive history. Where does God display his power? In an extraordinary way or ways. Creation. Creation. Is that fairly impressive? I think so. I think so. He speaks the world into existence by the power of his word. This is the God who says light. And there is light. He spoke the galaxies into existence. Again, Jeremiah 32 17. Based upon the fact that he created all things, is there anything too difficult for him? But what is creation? It is a redemptive picture of what God does for us in making us new, our recreation. Well, I think creation is awesome. I think recreation is more awesome. The same God whose spirit hovered over the darkness when everything was formless and void and spoke. And brought order out of chaos. Is the same God who spoke light into darkness. He's the very same God who works redemptively in our lives. Regenerating us by the Holy Spirit. Bringing light. Dispelling our darkness. He takes the formlessness of our own spiritual depravity. And he brings in his creative work. Such the case is that if any man be in Christ. He's a new creation. The old has passed away. And behold, all things have become new. Hallelujah! For the God who can create spiritual life out of spiritual death. That's our God. So much so that we are His workmanship. Y'all remember that verse? Chapter 2, verse 10. We are His workmanship created unto good works, which God foreordained that we should walk in them. When God worked in us, it was creation. It was a creation, and it was the very same power that he used to bring forth the universe out of no existence. I don't know about you folks, but that's unbelievable. The very creative power of God. The other analogy is the resurrection. Was the resurrection of Christ from the dead a display of God's power? Pretty impressive. Yes! Y'all sleeping? I know the Braves are in the World Series, and I'm jacked up about that. And I know the Chris Dixon, the Royals aren't there. Is Chris the only guy that pulls for the Royals in this church? No, James. I know the Cardinals aren't there, but give me my due. Everybody kicked Atlanta, Georgia out, but the World Series is back in Atlanta. Amen. All right. I don't know how I got on that, right? And now I've messed myself up. Oh, resurrection. Yes. Think about this. Is that that pretty impressive? The resurrection of Christ? Think about this. Here's the father whose son emulated upon a Roman cross. Think about this. He is taken down from the cross dead. Not swooning. Not hallucinating. Dead. And he is placed in a tomb. And there for three days. And then the Father, in all of His glory, in resurrection, power, raises His Son from the grave. Folks, Paul says it's that same power that raised you up, that resides in you, that has made you a new creation in Christ. It's the power that works within us. And then Paul says, this God who is able to do exceedingly, it's the power that is already working within us. So as we pour out our request to Him, we need to remember that the God in which we have to do is the creator, recreator, and raiser of Jesus Christ from the grave. He's the God who raises the dead. What could be too hard for Him? That's who we're praying to. Don't you see that it's Paul's theology that undergirds the request and it becomes the ground of the encouragement for him to pray? Folks, I'm telling you, a low view of God will sap your fervency in prayer. Harold Kushner, Rabbi Harold Kushner, wrote a book in 1981 called Why Bad Things Happen to Good People. He could not mesh the fact that God had unrivaled power, omnipotence, supreme omnipotence, with the fact that there's evil in the world. In other words, if bad things happen to good people, then he had to dump one or the other. He either had to say that God wasn't all-powerful Or he had to say that God was not all-loving. And what did he do? He kicked, Harold Kushner kicked the fact that God was all-powerful out and said there's no way that he could be all-powerful. If he was, then bad things would never happen to good people. Hmm. Well, since when did we get to pick what God is like? Right? The Bible says that God is good. And he does good. And he's also all-powerful. Well, with evil in this world, our our choices are not to dump God's power or God's goodness. Those are not options. I'll tell you a good option is called submissiveness. We actually submit under his divine lordship. That's another option. Submission under his divine lordship. So when I go to my God in prayer, I don't beg him to do these things thinking that he can't. If he can't do it, then why am I praying? Your theology of God is absolutely vital to your prayer life. Can God change me? My wife says, I sure hope so. <laughs> Can God change you? Your wife says, men, I sure hope so. We, we, do, we believe this. Does change ever seem to you to be one of those insurmountable things that will, you will never experience? Hey, does that sound logical to you and your reasoning? Folks, Listen. If you're saved today, I know that in your heart, everybody in here, if you're saved, you long for transformation. That's part of being saved. Once you become a new creation, you realize that your life should have a bent. Well, the Holy Spirit makes sure of this, okay? But also in your mind, you need to yield your members as instruments of righteousness. We want to be people. We don't want to be people that are not transforming and becoming more like the God to which we belong to. Right? Right? We want to. But year after year, we have the same old stuff hanging off of us or within us. Here's what I want to tell you. Please don't give up and succumb to the thought that that's just the way I'm going to be. Don't believe the eye of the enemy. God is able to do. If you ask him and you believe he has the power to change you, brother and sister, I've got news for you. You will change. I can tell you from experience that you will change. When you get serious and believe that God can transform you and your life. I could give you example after example, but I'm 51 years old and some of those examples make me embarrassed today. But God Almighty can change you. Don't succumb to think I've got these things hanging off me. I'm dragging around a funeral procession of things that I know are a stench in the nostrils of God and I can't change you're right. But the power of the Holy Spirit in you and God Almighty who's all has all power can change you. He can. So you pray that way. So when we're praying, we're praying to a powerful God. Look to the God who is able. Look to the one who spoke creation into existence. Look to the one who raises the dead. God says you cannot even think above what I can do. That brings us to verse 21. We're going to go fast. You ready? To him be glory in the church, and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Real quickly, to him be glory. Well, what is glory? It's the beauty and brightness of his infinite perfections. When we say glory to God, it's like our... Now, I know I'm doing a disservice, but I have to get close. I'm trying to get close to it, okay? It's like unto you with your favorite football team. And when that game is over, they hoist that coach up on their shoulders and they carry him off the field. Or it's similar to the waving and cheers of the crowds when a battleship comes home from victory. The heart of every child, teenager, adult, there is in them a longing for a doxology. Now we may sing it to athletes, God forbid, or rock stars, or technology, can I say politicians, or even purple mountain majesties. But I think the reason we feel awkward and ashamed to sing and shout for God's glory. Is because he is simply not real to us. If he becomes real to you then nothing compares to bringing him glory. Now by the way let me remind you this is not a call for us to pray and add something to God. It's not as if he's saying that God is a big water trough up on a mountain. And we are people bringing a bucket in a brigade. In other words, the water is his glory. And our job is to fill up the buckets and make our way up the hill and fill up his trough of glory because God is empty. You know why? Because there are times when God's cup gets low. That's nonsense. We can't add one whit to the glory of God. What we are called by God to do is acknowledge it. It's to give appreciation to the glory of our God. It's like when you go to a ball game and you see that wave start around. They don't even know what they're doing. But I'm telling you, the wave that the audience of the Lord gives is a continuous wave to His glory that will never end. That's the glory of our God. And that's why... Jeremiah could say, ah, Lord God, you've made the heavens. And we soar in our admiration to the God that we belong to. That's that's what it means to him be glory. All right, the text says to him be glory in the church. Do you remember back in chapter 3, verse 10? God sets up the church as his display case for his wisdom. Hey, look at the church. This is the wisdom of God. This is the stage on which God's plans are actually going to unfold. The church is the arena in which God parades his people in front of even demonic forces and says, hey, basically look what I can do with these people. Right? So to what actor you admire in the theater of glory, maybe a sports guy, maybe whoever, maybe a team. Well, folks, I'm telling you, the magnificent handiwork of our god cannot be compared to anything and he he does this in the church so the glory of god in the church is a surpassing glory when you stop and consider what you were before christ and then what christ has made you into this is a display of the glory of god that is greater than the galaxies that's why his glory is in the church And I may say to you, to whatever actor you admire in the theater of glory, whatever it may be. But to God be glory in the church. It is his church. To God be the glory in it. You understand that we are a local expression of a universal church. And when we come together to minister together, we are a corporate, visible, audible doxology to God for what he can do for people. Just look around. And think about what God can do. In other words, there's something marvelously supernatural about the church. God can and wants to do awesome things through this church. We must operate, folks, in His strength and His power. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above anything we could ever ask or think. According to the power that works within us, to Him be glory in the church. R.T. Kendall once said, if the Holy Spirit were to be summoned back to heaven, the average church would keep on going, business as usual. I mean, what power are we actually working in? Are we acknowledging His power? And then he added this, frankly, God is not much of a factor in most churches. What a shame. But I have to be honest. That's sometimes the case. Even in my own individual life, I, I began to function as if, Let's be honest. We act like practical atheists. We we, we know we're not. But in reality, we don't depend upon him. Ladies and gentlemen, this statement calls for reflection, doesn't it? Is Jesus Christ much of a factor in your own life? And let's bring this out. Is he much of a factor in this church? Where is the evidence? I mean, if we stiff-arm you and put you in the corner, we say, hey, is God at work at this church? You know what we usually say? Well... We're managing to keep the doors open. We met the budget this week. We had more people born this year than died. That was a banner year. I mean, what do we say about these things? This is perhaps all we can say that we're doing if it's only what we're attempting to do. The Bible tells us that this church is the theater of the glory of God. We need to operate in that realm. Amen. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus. If the church is the theater which people can see the glory of God, then who's the main character? To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus. You can't separate the head from the body. Amen. So, it is the theater of God's glory because it is in Christ. It is the very embodiment of God and the fullness of God. In other words, Jesus Christ, ladies and gentlemen, is the glory of the church. We provide the arena in which the work of Christ can take effect. God gets the glory when people make much of his son. It's his church. Glory to God in the church. Why? Because really it's his hospital. It's in his son. And Jesus Christ is a very good surgeon. He can change hearts. And finally, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. What does that mean? Well, may God's glory be perpetuated in history and for all eternity. In other words, from generation to generation is another way of saying in all eternity. From one age after the next unto eternity. Now... Think about the analogies we've talked about. The greatest men that have ever lived last about a third of a second in comparison to eternity. Even our favorite football teams, they don't last long. Do they? His glory never fades. And one of these days, at the marriage supper of the Lamb, we will get the full portion and you'll get it forever. One day it's coming. So glory to so-and-so in the world and even glory to your life, to one-tenth of one generation. But to him be glory in the church throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. So how's our praying? Are we praying in humility before the Lord in reverent, submissive terms, knowing that he is our powerful and loving God? Heavenly Father, are we asking him to empower us by his strength? That's why we paused and had just people in the church pray. Why? Because we need that kind of praying. I need that kind of praying. This has become a model as I'm preaching and teaching through Ephesians in my own prayer life. Just to take the scripture and apply it to life. Anybody need strength in the inner man? To live the Christian life? You better believe it. Do we need to be rooted and grounded in love? Yes. Do we need the fullness of the Lord? In other words, do we need that spiritual maturity? Absolutely. Here's the scaffolding of all that. God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above anything you could ever ask or even think to ask. Our God is able. Some of you are saying, well, I live with a knucklehead. Is God able to change them? You better believe it. But you know, it's me, it's me standing in the need of prayer. Right? Ron Dunn said one time, if I kicked today, the person who gave me the most problems yesterday, I wouldn't be able to sit down tomorrow. I mean, we are our biggest problem, aren't we? And that's why the prayer is focusing in on inner man. It's why it's focusing in on... Christ dwelling in sanctification, becoming more like Christ. All right, folks, if you're lost today, I got news for you. God can resurrect your soul. He is able. He is able to bring life out of death. And in time and space, the human activity is this. You must believe. You must trust. You must have faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ Christ. To change your life and/or save you from your sins, whole nine yards, justify you, whatever that may. Every every indication of that is putting your you're putting it all on the line. And I believe that I am in only in Jesus Christ can I be saved. Have you come to that place? God is able to save you. He has the power to do it. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. Brother David is going to come give us an invitation. Let's pray. Father, Lord, just to stop and contemplate, you are able to do exceedingly abundantly above anything we could ever ask or think. Father, thank you for Paul giving us the ground for the prayer. It's the scaffolding that holds up the prayer. We may look at them as impossibilities, but we're dealing with a God who is able. God, help us to pray with confidence to you who are able to do this. Father, if there's someone lost today, the gospel is the power of salvation to those who believe. Lord God, would you speak to hearts? In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Let's sing together. Just as I am.
1: in prayer with these at the altar join and sing it one more time. Without one plea. Just as I have
2: That you learn as a pastor, if you are a, a shepherd after the order of Christ, is you must know your people. I don't believe in the rancher note thing, that the pastor just as a rancher flies over and corrals his people. He never has any, any kind of personal relationship with the sheep. I want you to know that no matter what you're going through, if you need your pastor, I'm here. And I do know what a lot of you go through. And that's why it's so good to be able to preach the word and say that God is able. Amen? God is able. I believe it from my radiator to my tailpipe. 100%. God is able. Amen? Well, I'm glad you were here today. To God be the glory. Uh, no church. Oh, did, did Mike, is Mike here and Belinda? I looked around everywhere. They were going to join today. But they must must something. They Don may says be, no. They're in, huh?
1: not not here today.
2: Okay, they're not here today. Thanks, Don. All right. Well, God bless everyone tonight. We will not have service, but we will next Sunday night, right? Is that because the Braves are playing? No, no. <laughs> I know, didn't know we, it. Was we all playing.
1: know you were just still wound up at that miraculous thing. <laughs> it's a miracle that the Braves are in the World Series. Watch out! Watch out! <laughs> I agree. <laughs> let the glory of the of your
0: name let the glory of your name be the passion of the church let the righteousness of God be